the word of the Lord came the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time saying get up go to Nineveh and that great city and proclaim to it the message that I tell you so Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of according to the word of the Lord now Nineveh was exceedingly an exceedingly large city a 3 days walk across walk across Jonah became Jonah began to go out into the city going a, a day's walk and he cried out 40 days more and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And Nineveh shall be overthrown. Then, and the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed the fast and um, a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king, uh, the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with the sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclam pro pro proclamation. Is that how? You yes, proclamation. Proclamation made it in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall ta shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be co covered with sackcloth, and they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands. Who knows? God may relent his and change his mind. May he may turn from his fierce anger so that we so so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they how they turned from their evil ways. God changed his mind about the the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I am a perfectionist internally. I, I usually am not happy with anything that I do, anything I write or anything I create. I usually nitpick it to death and I want to overanalyze it and it doesn't ever live up to the image that I had in my brain or what I thought it would be. And so I'm never happy with anything that I create. And this has plagued me my entire life. But it really hit new levels when I was in college. And looking back, I could kind of see that I had been suffering from some grief uh, and some depression that came along with the loss of three significant loved ones, uh, each one year apart from each other. And I was procrastinating every single assignment that I had for a written essay. I would just put it off and put it off and put it off. And I struggled over what I could do to get over this kind of hump in my life and figure out a better way to do my assignments in time and not be so anxious about them so that I could um, not have to rush at the last minute to get everything done. And Stacy really tried to help me with this and she would sit with me in the library and sit next to me and she would try and keep me accountable to stay on track to sit and write my assignment. But 
after watching me write a whole page of whatever essay I was writing and then stop and read over it and then immediately delete the entire thing. She saw me do this a couple times. She was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Just keep going. Just keep going. Why are you stopping yourself from progress? Stop reading it. You could do that later. Uh, and so she was seeing my own internal process that it was so difficult for me to sit down and to write this paper. And it was almost like everything that I did, I, I did it begrudgingly. I did it not because it made me happy, not because I was um, enjoying it, not because I had some kind of sense of accomplishment out of it or even for a grade. I didn't even care particularly about the grade. I just knew that I had to pass the class and I had to do this written assignment if I wanted to pass the class. And so begrudgingly I would sit there and I would pound out all of my papers the night before they were due and I would basically turn in my first draft because I couldn't bear to read it back over and see all the things that I didn't like about it. Now, lucky for me, my um, first drafts were usually good enough to get a C plus or a B minus or somewhere around there. So I was able to pass all my classes and get through school. And as I grew as a human, as I got further and further away from all those losses and I began to deal with my own grief, I, I learned better ways to organize myself. I learned better ways to be able to critique my own work and to be okay with the imperfection of everything that I do. But there's always still been this sense in me that the things that I accomplish or the things that I do, I, I, they're never quite this way that I want them to be. And so I kind of always do things with just a little bit of a, <clears throat> I guess I gotta do this. It's a tough thing to do. I don't know if you've ever been there or not, but I began to think a little bit about my own attitude when I read the book of Jonah. The book we've been studying for the last two weeks in the life, the story of the prophet Jonah we've been exploring. And we see that Jonah really did not want to do what God had called him to do. God, God called him to do this task and for some reason or another, we don't know why yet in the story, Jonah just didn't want to do this task. He didn't want to go and preach God's word to the Ninevites. And so he sets sail and he goes as far as he could possibly go. We don't even know where Tarshish is uh, in ancient times. There's been a long-standing tradition that Tar Tarshish was in Spain, so which is literally as far as Jonah could possibly think of away from Nineveh. It's also possible that uh, Tarshish, there was another tradition that maybe it was in Carthage, which is kind of in Northern Africa, again, on the other side of the Mediterranean. So the, the concept here, the idea is that it was as far away as Jonah could possibly think to get from the task that God had given him. And yet he couldn't escape God. He couldn't run away from this job that God had called him to, from this calling that God had given to him. And as he ran from it, God followed him. And God began to pursue him and God began to block his ways so that he had to return back to God. And he had to open up communications and he had to learn to follow after God's ways despite the fact that he didn't want to do it. What a great story. What a great image for each one of us as we each face our own inner obstacles to do the things that God has called us to do. Maybe God is telling you to be an encouragement, to support um, somebody who shares the gospel, the good news of Jesus with a neighbor or a family member or a coworker 
or a friend that's going through difficult times or that is really struggling in life. And maybe inside you're thinking, but I don't know the right words. I don't know what to say. I don't want to mess this up. I don't, this is too important. Now, I'm not trained. That's something for Pastor Chris to do or for one of the other staff members on our church. They're trained for that, but I'm not. And so maybe there's obstacles in your own heart that are keeping you from following after a calling that God has given to you or an inkling that God has given into your heart of something he wants you to do. So we can begin to sympathize with Jonah. We can begin to understand the struggle that he was going through in seeking to run away from God's will. We can also understand the feeling that God, uh, that Jonah had when God stopped his ways and God got his attention and he had to return back to what God called him to. And that's what we see in our passage today. We see that Jonah finally returns to the task in hand. He finally begins to do what God calls him to do. And he goes to Nineveh. Now, we haven't talked a lot about the Ninevites, but the Ninevites were uh, the kind of the capital of the nearby people to Israel. And later days, we see that the, this capital and these people become um, the, the hand of punishment to the people of Israel. They are the nation that comes and invades Israel and captures all the Israelites and then moves them around into different t- territories to make sure that they don't have the upper hand in the land they're living in. And then they move other people out from their territories into Israel. And so they discombobulate the whole region all so that they can gain control over the land and over the people. And Israel lives in oppression underneath the, this um, city, these people for many, many years. And we see the other prophets dealing with the struggles that they are in as they uh, live under this, this captivity, this oppression of the people of Babylon. And so here in this story, we see a prophet, maybe before any of those events, um, called to go and to preach the good news, or to preach, not the good news, but to preach uh, the bad news of God's wrath coming to the people there. That God had seen all that they had done, that they were people that were violent, they were people that were oppressing others, uh, that they had done evil in all their ways, and God was going to punish them. Now, Jonah didn't want to go bring that message. Now, if it was me, if I had been called to do this, maybe I would fear being the prophet who brings this kind of a message to a people who act like this. Because what happens to a lot of the other prophets who are called to give a hard message to people, right? We see other prophets who are even called to the people of Israel, called to give Israel hard news about what God feels about what they're doing in those days. And so those prophets struggle, and I'm sure Jonah was able to see other prophets struggle with bringing this news. And now he looks and sees one of the worst people around and one of the enemies of his people. And and he says, God's calling me to bring bad news to them. Now, so if I was in his shoes, I'd run away too, just out of fear of what might happen to me if I were to go into that city and begin to preach to them about my God and what he's going to do to them. So Jonah doesn't have much faith, much trust in God because he doesn't know what is going to happen when he goes and, and he's fearful about what's going to happen and so he runs away. Now we, we're going to learn next week a little bit about his motive for running away. We're going to see that it wasn't the same motive that I would have. 
not the motive of being fearful of what might happen to Jonah when he says shares this message, but his he be, he is fearful about what the Ninevites might do in response to his message. So in this story, in this chapter, we see what the Ninevites do in response. Jonah finding, finally begrudgingly, after having prayed from the belly of a fish and then been vomited out onto dry land, he finally receives the calling from God and he heads to Nineveh and he walks from one end of the city and it's a huge city all the way to the other end. And all along the way, he's sharing the word that the Lord had given to him to share with the Ninevites. And what happens? Well, Jonah's the most successful prophet and successful preacher who has ever existed. Think about the irony, the, the, the satirism that is here in this story. We read the other prophets in the Old Testament and they're regularly bringing hard messages to the people of God, to the people who are supposed to be following God. And they're rejecting the word of the Lord and rejecting the prophets and often persecuting the prophets because of the word that they're bringing. How much would all the other prophets have sacrificed in order to be as successful as Jonah is when he brings this message to the enemies of God? Here's Jonah preaching that all these people are going to be destroyed because of their evils. And what do the Ninevites do? They repent. The king hears about this and immediately he, he rends his clothes and he pours ash on his head and he begins to wear sackcloth and he orders decrees, decrees that every single living thing, even animals, are to be in a state of mourning and repentance and that all people were to immediately do an about face and began to do the opposite of what they were doing just for a minuscule little chance that the God of Israel might have mercy on them. Jonah's message is incredibly successful. I'm jealous of him. I, I wish that my sermons elicited the same kind of radical response in every single person who heard me talk as Jonah did. I think everybody who's ever preached a word or spoken a word from the Lord wishes that they were as effective as Jonah. And yet, we're going to see that Jonah is not really happy with the results of his sermon, the results of the message that he's brought from the Lord. He knew deep down in his heart that this was what was going to happen, that the people were going to repent, and he did not want the enemies of the Lord to receive mercy. And he knew God was merciful. And so he knew that if they repented, God would relent and God would not pour his wrath out on them. And Jonah wanted to see them punished for all that they had done. What an amazing, amazing turn of events. If you were reading this story from the perspective of an ancient person, from the perspective of somebody who knew something about the story of Israel, knew something about the prophets, knew something about the fact that the prophets were usually bringing news of destruction to their own people and that they were persecuted, and then you saw Jonah bring a message to the people who were the enemies of God, and they repented, you would immediately begin to wonder what this story was trying to tell you. 
because it would turn all of your expectations upside down and it would have so many twists and turns from where you thought the story should be going that you would have to really think through what God is trying to share to us in the story. And God is always like that, right? God is always sharing stories with us that continually break our own perceptions and our own conceptions and ideas about who God is and about this world that he's made around us. He's always breaking our, our ideas and he's breaking our perceptions because he wants us to not depend on our own ability to grasp and control the situation around us, but to depend wholly on him. That's really what the story is about at the heart of it. It's about a prophet of God learning how to surrender his own will to the will of his Lord. So each of us need to learn the same thing. We need to learn that even if we begrudgingly are pushed into service and we, we have to force ourselves to obey the Lord, that we need to follow after the Lord's ways. And that even in that process of us having to break down our own desires and our own will and the things that we expect out of life, our own expectations, that that process is important to the process God wants for each one of us as we learn to surrender our lives and our will over to his will. What an amazing message for us to hear this week as we're sitting in our own homes, not because any of us wanted to sit in our own homes. Sometimes things just come into our lives that force us to change our plans. Maybe it's a power line that goes out right before Christmas uh, on a Friday afternoon when we're not going to be able to get people in to fix it before Sunday and we have to stream a service from my house in front of a Christmas tree. Or maybe it's a virus that breaks out all across the whole world and begins to freak everyone out so that everyone begins to sit in their own homes and make sure that they're not contributing to the spread of this dangerous virus. We don't know what it is, but there's so many different things that can come into our life and begin to break the illusion of control that we have. All of these things are meant and designed, I think, uh, or are redeemed by God, maybe is a better way to put it, to teach us to relinquish the control that we think we have, the, the idea that we have of control in our own lives up to him. And to trust in God over trusting in our own ability to perceive the world around us and know what is going on. To, to surrender ourselves to God to know his will and his way for our life and to follow after it even if we don't particularly like the direction he's calling us. This is the spirit that God brings among his people as he begins to break down their sense of uh, self-control and self-safety and begins to teach them that he is their only control. He is their only safety. No one could be a better savior than the Lord. And so in this week, as we're sitting in our homes and we're being reminded over and over again that we don't have control of the things around us and that even the little bit we can exert and control and just staying home and, and trying to not pass the virus on or catch the virus, that even in that there's very little control that we have and ultimately it's all up to the Lord and we need to trust in him. As we meditate on that, as we think about that, 
let us begin to have a perspective change, a change that maybe God can use this outbreak of this pandemic of COVID-19 to begin to give us a new perspective, a perspective that relies on God, that loves God above all other things and seeks God's will in our life above all other things. One of the things that God has built into our lives on a daily basis that helps us to know this lesson is Sabbath. Something in our culture I think that we really struggle with and that we, I know for me personally, really have a hard time quieting down and leaving one day for rest in the Lord and reconnection with the Lord. It's so difficult for us to not allow the world's demands for us to schedule all kinds of activities or the, the activities that they schedule just demanding uh, our time seven days a week. It's so difficult for us to break away from those patterns and to protect one day a week for us to be um, mindful of the fact that we are dependent wholly on God. So this week, on my morning devotions, I'm going to do for five minutes, upload as a video onto my own personal site. Um, and onto on my own personal YouTube. This week, as I look at um, this idea, I'm going to be exploring the Sabbath. Where did the Sabbath come from? How did the people of Israel understand the Sabbath? And uh, what can those lessons teach us while we are kind of Sabbathing without really intention to? <laughs> because God has forced us in our homes to slow down and take a different measure and look at our lives. What can we learn from the concept of Sabbath as we maybe get back to our own lives and we begin to get back to some normalcy? Can we have a perspective change where we begin to protect a day of the week as a Sabbath regularly? One of the things I appreciated the most about going to Israel and being able to kind of go around the Holy Lands is to see how serious most of the Orthodox Jews and practicing Jews in Israel took the Sabbath. We would stay in hotels and uh, the Jews would actually go and stay in the hotels just for Friday night through Saturday um, so that all their work could be done for them and they weren't the ones doing any of the work uh, just so that they could obey the Sabbath and focus on the Lord on those days and the Sabbath. And they, they went to some extremes and I'll be exploring that this week in my videos that I think actually are some neat things to reflect on for us as we move forward. But for now, let us remember that God has called us to do something in this world. Maybe you don't know what it is yet, but God is calling you to do something. And it might not be what you expect. It might not be what you want to do. And we have to learn to obey the Lord because it's his will and surrendering to his will that is going to bring us to our full potential and our, the full realization of who God has designed us to be over anything else. And so as we surrender to God, as we begrudgingly maybe sometimes even obey his will, let us know that God will always bring fruit from our obedience to him. And if we do it with a heart of surrender, he will always bring fruit in our own hearts and teaching us how to follow him and love him and surrender to him. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for even times like this, where a virus is spreading around the world and our biggest fears of a big pandemic coming out are finally realized. Lord, we thank you for the fact that it's slowed our lives down, that we have sat inside of our homes and had to be more mindful of our time. 
Lord, we pray for those who are being negatively impacted by this virus. We pray that you would fill in in some way, that your presence would be known and felt in the families who lose someone. Lord, that you would surround and surrender um, and give grace and mercy and comfort to those who are impacted. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to lead our governments and us as the people to follow good sense to help to mitigate the spread of this virus so that those who are most vulnerable among us won't be harmed. And Lord, we pray that you would lead us out of this time with a new perspective, with a new redemptive mindset to surrender to you moment by moment, day by day, and week by week with a Sabbath mentality. We pray all this trusting in you. Amen. Friends, as you go through this week, remember to surrender to the Lord, to allow God to have his way in you, understanding and knowing that God's way is far better than what you can imagine, that he can do things that you don't even think he can do, and that through you he will accomplish many things. So surrender to him and may the God of grace go with you and give you peace even as you begrudgingly sometimes surrender your will to his will and follow after his ways. And may he comfort you in these times of trouble and may he keep you safe. In Jesus' name, amen.